Fendi, like the bag. <laughs> this is the Ivory Fuse Podcast. Good time, Mr. Fox from the I Refuse Podcast, returning yet again for another new episode during Pride Month. That last episode, Parks and Recreation 3, took me about three to four months to put together. You know, I did a couple of sections, a couple of pieces of the episode before the surgery, and then I did maybe one or two after I recovered. You know, I think it's time that we start having these conversations around experiences and environments and spaces within the community that don't coincide with the messaging that we're presenting to the rest of the world. But I wanted to switch gears. Um, One thing I wanted to talk about in this episode was something I had mentioned at the tail end of the Boys on the Side episode where, you know, a tradition during Pride Month, I guess on social media, is that people share their experiences um, coming out and, you know, their first time and what that was like and what the times at that time were like and, you know, sharing your experiences, going to your first Pride. And, you know, I felt like, you know, I'm going to turn the spotlight on me this time and not so much everybody else. So I first came out when I was 18. And at that time, like I was already in the military, it was what, 20, 2000, 2001, um, and I was in a long-distance situationship. It wasn't a relationship because I never met the guy. And by that point, I had already had at least two experiences, two physical experiences with men. And... In the situation ship, you know, I was based in Texas and the guy that I was talking to was based in Biloxi. And through the course of six months, you know, things were suspicious looking back in hindsight. You know, when you're 18 or 19 or 17, you know, you're just as naive and you just go with and believe whatever you're told um, over the phone or to your face or whatever. Um, so over the course of the six months, you know, it went from he was very toxic. He was roommates with an ex and then they took in a third person and they were roommate, they were all roommates at some point the ex moved out the the other two the guy that I was talking to and 
this other guy happened to be sleeping with each other. And at some point, there was a situation not too long after that where he called me and claimed that he went to a bar, had a couple of drinks or whatever. Um, He either forgot his keys at the bar or he left his door unlocked. And at some point, he said that he went to bed and woke up with a guy riding his dick. So even at like 18, 19 years old, I'm like, okay, I'm no McGruff crime dog, but something just isn't clicking for me. So, you know, the thing about it that kept me on the hook, and this can be a blessing or a curse, is consistency. Um... He kept the contact and the consistency up, and we would talk for hours on end. And, you know, you're 18, 19 years old, you know, you're just, you're just believing in the potential, and you have faith in what could be, um, and it's just conversation and talking at this point. Um, At some point after that, you know, I eventually got past that, and, you know, I we were talking about going a step further. You know, I come there for the weekend or whatever, you know, he come to my area, and we see what things could be. And... You know, it was, we were in that, we were in that, that headspace and, you know, I was very adamant and very serious about it, but, you know, things started to change, um, you know, not too long, he, he was already discussing marriage. And I thought it was for real. So at some point, I started making phone calls and I started coming out to people. Um, But not too long after that, just things were just not mathing. Um, You know, my tuning fork for bullshit really was up at that point. You know, I had just given the examples before where it was just like, You know, along with this other shit, you're kind of not, you know, keen on investing and you're not, you're not coming around, you know, as you should. And by this point, I think it was like a year. And, you know, when I start putting two and two together... And I start realizing things are not the way they should. Like, when you're a person like I am that is 
giving a lot of yourself, you know, the time, the availability, the the consistency, like pretty much dedicating your social life outside of work to this kind of thing. And this person is starting to be, you know, full of excuses, you know, starting to fall out, starting to be inconsistent. Um, And, you know, it's right around the time that we're getting closer and closer to actually making plans, right? You know, I set a date in the future of a weekend. I'll, I'll be coming out there or I will be. You know, then things start changing on his end. It's like, okay. So at some point, I wrote a letter to him. And he gave it to his mother, who he claimed was, I don't know, a clairvoyant or some some writing or tone analyzer with letters. Some bullshit. Um, in the back of my mind, I'm like, why as a grown-ass man do you need your mother to read a letter to you and what it says? I mean, I'm pretty plain and straightforward in my speaking and my letters and the way I write. Um, and from what I gather on the phone calls, you don't really sound like you have a comprehension problem. Um... And then coupled with that, he started to be a little more um, testy and defensive about stuff. Now, mind you, we had already gotten past all that other shit that that just wasn't right or healthy, right? Especially got past that part where, you know, I left my keys at the bar and I woke up with a guy riding my dick. Okay. So... At that point, you know, I, the letter, it was a page or a page and a half long about how I was feeling. And at that point, I, I gave no, no fucks. Like I was living on my own. I had everything that I needed, you know, a relationship or any kind of dynamic is optional to me. And especially when you have that much, um, especially when you have that much carelessness and, you know, and consideration and disrespect, just because you can says a whole lot. So I did address some of the previous stuff, especially the part about you know, him sleeping with the the roommates and, you know, you still living with your ex and this whole, I, f- I woke up with, a, like, that whole thing. But none of that energy came this direction. Like, none of that energy came towards moving the relationship to the next level. So coincidentally... My first investment with another guy, you know, past sex was a really toxic one. And, you know, it's not 
as if it's not already hard enough being in the military during Don't Ask, Don't Tell, or just being in the military in general, trying to see somebody or in something with somebody that's not physically there all the time or at all is, isn't hard enough. You know, I just happened to lock up on somebody that pretty much set the tone for why my intuition is the best thing and why I stress and my advice to other people and live and learn and, you know, put yourself first. And I've been on that, you know, one bad vibe and I'm out. Like, had the relationship been one where we had already been, we had already consummated the relationship, I was physically in his space, and I could feel, like, long enough to feel and sense things out that the talk was consistent with the walk, then it wouldn't have been as easy to get over. Um, At some point... You know, there was a few months where we lost contact. I mean, I left, like, no big deal. Go back to my um, my career and my life and what I already have where I was. But, of course, he reached out to me um, out of the blue. And went on this, like, braggadocious tirade about how, you know, he's engaged to this German billionaire. And he has all these restaurants and he's driving this nice car and all this other bullshit that nobody on this side asked him about. I was like, ooh, this is really weird. Um, And I went on about my life. But... It's, that was back in 2000. Like, I had, prior to that, I had never, like, dealt with somebody, anybody on that level, who was just that, that toxic and that sick. And unfortunately, in this, in this life, there's more of that, where that comes from. Um, And it's really ultimately up to us as individuals to decide how much we will tolerate. I think the moment for me that it affects my mental health and my emotional health and my spirit, I gotta go. And I employ other people, implore other people to do the same. So I think for me being exposed to toxicity and trauma early in life set the tone for the kind of person and kind of life that I live later on in life where it's like the less people the less drama um, learning the skills to be more selective and more true to yourself like I often tell other people you know, my circle is small. You know, no squares and no people that triangles. Um, 
And I understand that there are people out there who are listening to this who are either the opposite or know people that are like that, where it's just a large circle of friends. Um, Like, true friends, air quotes friends, um, friends with benefits, the whole thing. And that's fine. I mean, I think a lot of us each come with a learning curve in life about things. And, you know, that's their prerogative and all that other stuff. But, you know, drama and karma doesn't play favorites. And for me, I have been pretty good you know I I don't just have a circle of friends a small circle of friends but also a village which is a whole other thing that is more than just having people around people that just want to come over um, and more about more past the privileges and the benefits, but actually pouring into you the way that you pour into them. Um, And that's kind of set the tone for me moving forward. You know, the first time that I had even went there with a guy, I think I'd said something like this on Twitter, I was 18, and the guy was 35, and I know I'm dating myself because this site's probably not as um, popular now as it was back then. Went on a website called Manhunt. Don't ask me how I knew about it, how I found out about it. Um, Probably because of gay.com. It was one of their ads. But nevertheless, there I was like 18 going on 19 and first thing I saw it was a headless profile picture and it was a nice body you know not too crazy ripped not flab or anything but average build you know when it's average build it's average but it's good um dark body hair I was like okay so we had been talking for a little bit and then at some point I ended up at his house and on his couch was another guy that was in the military that wasn't out he was a tech sergeant I had seen him once or twice at work but had no idea but back then with don't ask don't tell it's like you recognize another face from base Even if it's in plain clothes, but you just don't say anything. And, you know, at some point during the visit at the guy's house, I played it cool, you know, when I saw him. And I didn't even think, oh, well, what if he's going to be the one that rats me out? There's always that line of paranoia with, you know, during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. When two guys cross paths and they 
they're familiar, you know, they look familiar to each other. And the thing about it is, like, most Air Force bases domestically, and maybe even internationally, they are essentially the hub that, like, puts the, the town on the map. Um, which means, you know, there isn't much by way of a huge number of non-military citizens near in a town with an Air Force base because most of the people that work at the Air Force base or are assigned a duty station to an Air Force base live in the area. Not only that, but also the civilians as well. So it's not hard to go over somebody's house and just about everybody in in there or who comes over is military. So at some point, I think by that point, I had already had, I think, an oral-only experience with another guy who went by Joe Perry on Yahoo Messenger. I know I'm dating myself by dropping these um, these sites and applications, which is funny. Um, so I went over to his house, and he looked like a porn star that I'm attracted to. He's probably since retired. Cliff Parker. Uh, Google it, and... He looks exactly like him. But, you know, we were watching the X-Files. And at some point, we went to the bedroom. And it was really good. And then we were semi-regular for about three or four months. And the downside to, like, living on a military base and not having a car is that it's unless the person is family to like somebody that works on the base it's usually got to jump through a lot of hoops to get them on base um which means you may have to go all the way to the front gate to sign them on or whatever but other than that you know it's not a frequent thing you know doing stuff on base Unless it was another military guy. Another military guy. Which, towards the end of my enlistment, that was the case. Um, But, there's always that, um, that fear in the back of your mind when you have... When you're not out and you have guys and stuff come to your dorm room. And, you know... There are a lot of windows and a lot of foot traffic and people talk. And at that point, you know, people were talking about me um, to the point to where somebody took it a step further and actually called my desk phone at my job telling me to stay away from a particular person. Now, I may have mentioned a little bit about this on a previous episode but there was I remember I went off base one day or one night to go to like a housewarming party for a guy that worked in one of the orderly rooms 
which is essentially like an HR, like a military HR office. Um, went over there, and he invited other people from his squadron. And there was a guy there by the name of um, Rob White. And nothing happened, but, you know, went to the housewarming, danced, laughed, drank, ate, went back to my dorm room, went on about my life. Phone rings one day. There is a guy on the other end by the name of Jose who sounded pretty livid. Introduced himself, sounded pretty angry about something, told me to stay away from this guy. He don't like you. He don't want you. Blase, blase, blase. Like, okay. Now, mind you, I didn't even talk to this guy. Like, barely at this party. Just like, hey, how you doing? You know, when we were introduced. And... The rest of the night, he was on the adjacent couch with the people that he worked with. And that was it. Never met this guy that called me. Took time out out of his day to call me on the office phone at my office. Which, the numbers to people's offices were not hard. I mean, we all use Outlook. Um, So, at some point... I crossed paths with the one guy. Not the one that called me, but the guy that was at the party. Went, I was at the dining hall, get my own food, went to go sit down and eat. He walked in to the, the dining hall, saw me, came to the table, and we had a conversation. It's like, so what's the deal? Um... So, this guy was like, this white guy was like, you know, he's just a friend and, you know, I don't know, like, he's protective, yada, 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 yada. So, drama, right? Like, drama. Like, just out here minding my business, go to a little housewarming to show support, and I'm getting phone calls at my desk um but come to find out actually as recent as like the 2020 early 2020 that he um according to the girl that I worked with in the office then cause we had like a mini a mini reunion down in San Antonio when one of our um, other co-workers at the time had retired. So when I ran that by her, like what that was, she told me that the reason why he did that, what, the reason why the guy called me is because he was into Rob and Jose was also gay. Wow. Like, Isn't that crazy? So, I went 
on this whole sidetrack of a tangent diatribe to talk about how even during Don't Ask, Don't Tell, like there was still this room that people had to where they knew that they couldn't act on or express their feelings or their attraction to another guy. So in turn, what they'll do is lash out at anybody else they perceive as a threat to them. Isn't that wild? Like, looking back on that, that's exactly what that was. Because, mind you, we none of us work together. Like, I never worked with this guy or anybody at that housewarming party. And I never worked or was in any squadron with these, these guys, especially the guy that called me. Don't know what he lo- looked like at that time. Never met him. But apparently there was there was some conversation or some talking going on. And, you know, there was... And I was aware of it. I was aware of it. Um, you know, the dorms where I lived were not dedicated to... None of the dorms were dedicated to a specific squadron. But a lot of the same specialty, Air Force specialties tended to be housed in the same dorms. Um, It just so happened that the dorms that I was in, the newer ones, were next to ones that housed a lot of the, um, the bomb squadron guys. And putting two and two together, I realized, okay, there somebody over here is is watching and and talking and it it came to a head at some point when i think i also talked about this on an earlier episode where i was called a faggot to my face by another service member and we weren't friends or anything like there were maybe less than three times where we were in the same room together i mean the first time we went on like a trip with the through the chaplain's office. Um, we went on a hop into a van and went to Carlsbad Caverns, which was nice. Um, but that was like when was that? Lady Marmalade was blowing up. I remember because that song came on in the on the radio on the way to the Carlsbad Caverns. Uh, what was that? Tooth, late, oh, I want to say that was late 2001, early 2002. Um, but nevertheless, like, I knew him by first and last name. He just happened to be friends with a friend of a friend. So nothing to me, really. Um, no weight, no skin off my back. But he... I was walking to the tr- to the dumpster, and he was walking with that friend of a friend. And as we crossed paths, I was like, hey, guys. He was like, don't talk to me, faggot. Oh. 
Okay. Wow. So, at some point, I ended up on the phone with the with the friend of a friend that he was walking with, and I'd asked him. I was like, "What the fuck was that?" He's like, "I don't know, man. I, I don't know." Now, I didn't call the guy to the phone. He came to the phone at some point and was talking about, you know, don't talk to me, don't whatever, don't do this, don't do that. But I was like, okay, whatever. So at some point, a good girlfriend of mine had called me, um, and we're still good friends to this day. Uh, had called me, and I told her what had happened. Now, mind you, at some point before this, not even like a week or so before, the four of us were all hanging out. Um, we were watching TV or whatever, and at some point, she went to go lay her head on his shoulder. And I was looking at them, right? So, long story short, after I got off the phone with her, I got a... Not too long after that, I got a knock on my door. And it was the two of them at my door. She got off the phone with me, went over to get him, and brought him over to me. Um, and read him for filth. A through Z, one, two, three. Like, you got some fucking nerve. It's not your place. Even if he was, it's none of your business. Like, what how dare you like the nerve of you um but at some point you know he apologized but not before saying you know he had been hearing some things on base about me and he was mistaken thinking that I by the way the way I was looking at the two of them before he must have thought that I wanted him or something so one thing a lot of people don't on the outside of the you know the military looking in is that one thing remains constant is that the guys that work on the jets and the bombers and stuff um, have an ego even if it's guys in that squadron just have an, have an ego. Um, an ego bigger than the officers that actually fly the planes. Um, and, you know, with that ego, you know, and it was explained to me that it's kind of justifiable because, you know, jets and bombers and planes and shit are a pretty big deal. And, you know... When you're a guy that works on those kind of things and you're in a small town, like, girls flock to you. Like, girls are literally walking puddles of water. Um, especially when you're tall. At some point, I had a sweet mate who, um, from Arizona, who came from Arizona... Six-year enlistment was about 6'4", 20, 
something years old. Blue eyes, really cute. Like, had a crowd of girls around him at Buffalo Wild Wings. When Buffalo Wild Wings was the bomb. But that that ego thing is is a constant. It's always going to be there. So with that, you know, people, they think that everybody wants them. And, you know, if that's all you are, if that's all you want to be um, and nothing else, you know, that's my personality, you know, this this whole thing that I'm doing that I do day in and day out is my personality, you know, I can understand, you know, the confusion, but yeah, he, he, he didn't know any better and God bless his heart. Like he did apologize, but it definitely, my antennas definitely went up and I was made aware that people were in fact talking about me and I knew that some of the, well, especially one of the girls that worked in my office at the time who was tight with some of the bomb squadron guys played a role in that. If not facilitating it, definitely getting the conversation going. And I get it. It's like in order for somebody to fit in and, you know, get some attention, you know, you, you make yourself part of, you make yourself part of the conversation and you, it doesn't matter who you bring down to make yourself look better. But it, from 2000, late 2000 to 2003, um, it, it was something. You know, I didn't, for the first two of those years, I didn't have a car. So... You know, it wasn't like I was trying to hide it, but, you know, I just let people speculate what they speculate, you know. Nobody can prove what they're talking about, but that doesn't stop them from talking about it. Um, You know, and at some point, I overheard my same sweet mate talking about me. He was like, on, he was on the phone, and when I say sweet mate, we had our own rooms. We just shared the bathroom and the kitchen from two separate ends. I was in the kitchen, and I heard him on the phone talking to somebody. He was saying something like, well, I don't know if he's gay or straight or bi. I don't know. Um, and who else would he be talking about? And... I don't give I never gave a shit. Um, you know, just like I mind my business when, you know, he was over there cheating on his girlfriend with girls he met at the club. I'm not going to give him any bit of my business. Just continue to let him speculate, just like with everybody else. Um, you know, proximity doesn't always equal perspective. Just because somebody's that close physically to you doesn't really mean y'all are friends. You know what I mean? So, it was... It's always been interesting to me in life 
just watching people discuss who they think you are. Um, now, me and my sweet mate passing ships, you know, different schedules. I worked during the day. He worked overnight. Barely saw him. Often heard him. Um, and that was about it. You know, a lot of military service and military experiences are ultimately that, like passing ships. Unless unless you're one of those that, like, are really tight with people you work with. Even then, for me, I say to myself and minded my business. And I stay true to that to this day. And still yet again, people like to be in my business for whatever reason. Now, if I was to look at that objectively, you know, when it comes to people minding my business or people minding anybody else's business, I would take myself out of the equation. I could swear... I could swear people just want to be in place, you know, want to switch places, whatever, whatever. Um, I, I could, I swear on the stack of Bibles that that's the case. Um, you know, that was the case with Jose, whether or not something was actually happening it didn't matter any perceived threat must be must be approached never physically approached me I mean mind you my phone number wasn't the only details in Outlook but do it over the phone though you know what I mean like keep that same energy in person Matter of fact, you know, say the shit twice is what I'm is what I would do, so I know you meant it. But it's it's amazing to me the lengths people will go for something that's not theirs, just on perception, just on a on a perceived notion. Um, and I wasn't even. I don't think I was even 21 yet. Like, it's it was... That was definitely a fun, a fun ride. Like, actually living your life while people around you are discussing the speculation. And people that knew kept their mouth shut. Like, actually knew the truth or was even closer but I never divulged every single thing or any details as to where they were dropping me off and why they were dropping me off when I would go to meet up with my um, my fuck buddy who lived off base near the one of the colleges and, you know, he too got a little paranoid. I mean, he knew I was in the military. Um, and he got nervous when he thought I was being investigated. But I wasn't. It was just somebody, also a, 
a fellow service member was NGA.com with the handle AFOSI, which is Air Force Office of Special Investigations. I had a profile picture, picture of a guy that worked in the same squadron that I did, um, and never really responded to messages. But I kind of had to move on and figure some stuff out. I mean, once I got my car, I was able to leave the area more and go further away. I mean, in Texas, it takes you about two or three hours to get to any place. And that's what I started doing um, the last couple of years. But nothing, anything that could have been a problem never went any further. You know, nothing goes any further when people are satisfied with the attention. Because that's all it's about. So moving right along, you know, I did my four years. You know, there was an option to re-enlist and get another assignment, but I was just like, eh, I'm kind of over it. You know, there was just a whole lot on the front end of my enlistment that I, that I went through where it was just like, yes, a lot of people are way more pressed than their paycheck says. And this is just like a nine to five for me. You know, you have people in the military that are like 24-7, this is it. You're on standby outside of this office and all this other stuff. Now, mind you, the Cold War had been over for, like, almost 10 or 12 years at this point. We, it's chill out. Like, like chill out. This is a 9 to 5. After I hit those doors, those exit doors, i see you tomorrow. But it was either somebody that was from, like, the old days, like the early 90s, 80s. Um, who were enlisted that was never relaxed. And then you have, you know, those officers who went through OTS and CCAF, Community College of the Air Force, who were real assholes. Um, And come to find out they were Republicans. That's a whole nother topic for a whole nother episode. And then you had those guys who were officers but prior enlisted who were just way more laid back, understood, understood, you know, the perspective of enlisted um, airmen and stuff and weren't assholes. And then you had, like, those officers that were, like, mid who were just head in the clouds married to awkward officers like just just very mid had the rank but not a whole lot of responsibility um and then you had those those yuppie middle midwest guys who were like hipper than I ever imagined like there was this guy from Iowa Iowa he was a captain at the time um now, looking at him, you would have never thought 
like anything beyond okay well here's this white boy who was like from Iowa he can't he can't possibly be like hip and have rhythm and stuff remember this one day I remember this one day I was in the orderly room um, where you know one of the one of the girls had I think the radio playing an ice cube came on and the song was it was a good day I turn around next thing I know this Midwest captain from Iowa knows the song word for word especially the part where he's like so deep so deep put an ass to sleep and was actually dropping it low like he was a low rider I said who is this and where's this been all my life like like the coolest guy you know a handsome guy charming fun um funny and um was just he was like in and out you know like when he came into the building into the office or it was um assigned to our office and stuff the whole area changed like when we had the second lieutenant woman so uptight never laughed was married to an asshole of a senior master sergeant like people don't understand like the leadership that you have influences the morale and the air in the room like the environment's different like it was so much more uptight when i first got there but towards the end it was made way more laid back but that doesn't starve off you know people out there still have shit to prove like they have all this time and have all this shit to prove But, yeah, it was just the last two years. Were a lot of fun. I, you know, I had my car. I was, you had to find me. And, you know, my first, I guess, I call it a situation ship. Um, really set the tone for what I know works and what I know doesn't. And what I know to be, understand to be healthy, and what I know and understand to not be healthy. And, you know, my first couple of times, very nice, set the tone for what I, what I like and appreciate. And there's actually more that goes into the experience of sex and intimacy and it takes a real mature person to fulfill the needs of another person without any ego involved. And then I move on to my first pride. So I didn't go to my first pride until sheesh. My first pride was actually 2005. I think 2004, 2005. It was, um, I thought it was Harrisburg Pride, but that wasn't until 2006. 2004, 2005, I went to Baltimore Pride and was having a hell of a good time. And 
you know, it was on Charles Street like it always is. You know, it, I think, see, I don't think they had a main stage at that point. But I was socializing with a lot of great guys. Um, some of whom I would see here, you know, get invited to pool parties and shit over the summer. But for the most part, Baltimore Pride then was a lot of fun and the turnout was really good. Um, did Saturday the most, didn't, never did the, the Sunday in the Drew Hill Park, um, didn't do like the Friday night thing. Saturday was the main event day, and it still is. So, I went cross paths with this group of guys. Um, drinking, having a good time, looking at each other's nipples, or whatever, whatever. So, we were, we were playing, as we're playing this game, where, you know, you take, you, um... You suck the soda up into the straw and you close the other end with your finger and you take the straw over to a guy's nipples and you try to catch the leak or the drip before it falls. They were playing that game in a circle and as I'm about to, as it's my turn, person comes up behind me and says, um, I should be ashamed of myself. And I turn around and it's another black guy. What a lot of people don't understand is that that's another thing in the community where it's like we black guys tend to get flack from other black guys. If you're over here minding your business with this group over here having fun, socializing, having a really good pride, for whatever reason, other black guys have an issue. But before I could, like, turn around, make sense, and engage, he had disappeared into the crowd, like the little punk that he was, um, and only to come in front of us with a male-to-female who was talking under her breath. And I was like, at pride, and at pride nonetheless. And I say to myself all the time, like, people, other people's perceptions and other people's attitudes and behaviors are not my responsibility. And they're not anybody else's responsibility. But it's definitely telling when, even at Pride, even at spaces and environments and venues with other that are supposed to be pro-gay and full of life and full of inclusion and all these great things that, you know, pride represents, you know, that thing that everybody keeps going to. There's still shit like that that goes on for no reason. I mean, I can think of a long laundry list of reasons, um, but I'm trying to not be as petty during Pride Month. Um, I've already done two or three episodes where I was, but, you know, Juneteenth is here. I'm not even going to go there. But it's still very much a reality. Like, even in the face of pride and even in the face of what it means to be community, that's not the case. And it's 20 motherfucking 22. 
so this is Mr. Fox, the I Refuse podcast. With that, um, follow and subscribe wherever you see the I Refuse podcast. Be sure to hit that follow and that subscribe so you don't miss a beat with weekly episodes. Um, we're coming up on the end of season three. I'm going to probably end season three mid-July on streaming and then come back in September or October with a different look and feel and intro. So, hope you're still panting. Not from humidity and heat, but panting for more I Refuse podcasts because we're going to keep giving it to you whether you want it or not. Um, so this is Mr. Fox, the I Refuse podcast. is currently 90-some goddamn degrees outside on the East Coast. Um, stay hydrated, stay cool, keep your eyes on your own paper, your money. And keep following and supporting the I Refuse podcast across all the platforms. YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and especially the streaming platforms here. And we will see you guys later or talk to you guys later. Bye.